Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So on today's episode, ladies, we have Kimberly Marie. She is an investor involved in single family homes to multifamily homes to new development. And we get into a lot of her story of how she's been able to scale and grow. And something that she was able to leverage was moving through, you know, as she built her team, when it made sense to actually partner with these team members. And I think that's a helpful nugget you're going to get from today's episode. And as she grew her portfolio, she always did this audit. She audited her goals in order to make sure she was making a decision in terms of acquiring properties or offloading them. Hey guys, it's Liz. Before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that time is running out and you just have three weeks left to get your ticket to InvestorCon 2024, the number one premier conference for women in real estate. It's happening from June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. To learn more and to get your ticket, go to investhercon.com today and use the code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's investhercon.com, promo code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 Exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show, where our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. We like to say that week in and week out because that is what we stand for and where we hold everything that we do under the light of that mission. Right, Andressa? Indeed. So just want to jump in here and introduce you to Kimberly Marie. Thank you for being on our show. We're going to get into how she's been able to build her portfolio that includes all different types of niches without syndicating and without, you know, going down that path. And we'll talk about what syndicating is for those who don't know what we're talking about. So Kimberly, thanks for being on our show. Yeah, thank you both for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, excited to get into your story here in a moment. We always like to get connected to all of you, share something that's coming up for us, because if it's coming up for us, chances are it's coming up for everyone listening as well. So Andressa, what's, what's happening for you? What you got to share with us today? Nothing. Just <laughs> I don't know if I can believe that from you. Nothing going on. So <laughs> it's funny, right? And I, I don't know if that's me or anything that happens in my life. I'm always observing like, what is the meaning of this? What is the lesson behind it? And what is, why is this happening in this, this moment? So 
what I want to talk about is success criteria. And that came out of a conversation that I had with somebody that I hired to take care of my backyard. You're like, what the hell? How did you get there? Connect me the dots, please. So I called a company to take care of my yard. My yard has some lumps of the grass and I want it to be flat. So I can deal that mini soccer field for my child. That's the goal. So I called this company. I never had grass in Philadelphia before. This is my first time having grass. I had no freaking idea. But this guy that I spoke over the phone was very enthusiastic. She asked me, like, what are the times that that worked for me? He sent a voice message the day prior confirming his arrival. He arrived on time and he was prepared. He had a little notebook with the plant, like the skeleton of my property and where things were, was very detailed, presented his knowledge about drainage and all different types of things. And then I had to freaking ask him, right? Like, how long have you been working for this company? And he's like, well, actually, it's my company. I was like, I knew it. I gotcha. I knew it. I knew it. And I was like, all right, now I need to know, what is your company? Why the hell are you here? Like, what the hell are you here? He's like, we have 85 trucks on the road and about 50 employees. And then I was like, now I really need to know why the hell you're here. And I'm very lucky to have you here, but I need to know why. He's like, because I can, because I choose to. I choose a couple of clients where I am the one that goes there. And I don't really care it's Saturday, Monday, Sunday, or whatever it is, I choose to share that. I don't have to. And we talked about entrepreneurship, but how much it gives us freedom, right? So for all of you ladies, this is why we do real estate. That's the bottom line. It's not to have a lot of doors under our belt and say, yeah, here, take it. I have 53,000. doesn't matter. It's about the freedom of time. So everything that you do, I want you to look and to create your success criteria. And no, I did not come up with that term. Came from Dan Sullivan, the book, Who the How? If you haven't read it, please do. So when we look at your success criteria, don't just look at the number of doors as a result of that, right? Of your success. I want you to also look at all the things that you do care about. Is it picking up your child from school like me? No or no, or is it like having time to do gardening or is it whatever you, you call it, what that is. And all your actions and habits are going to be based on that. Does that fit? Do you live your success criteria? That is the bottom line. The success criteria is not something that you're looking to achieve like your goals. Is a mantra, is a guide for you to live in your daily basis. So if you haven't done that, I highly encourage you to do it because all your question marks, should I be working on this? Should not wait? Does it fit my success criteria? And the answer is no. You have no guilt because you know that that does not fit your success criteria. It's a deep question, right? It's literally not going to take 10 seconds. What's my success criteria? I mean, what you're saying is that it's going to take more thought. So highly encourage you, those are listening, do that. The next 24 hours, tag us on our Facebook community. That's why we 
created a Facebook community at the same time we created a podcast four years ago. We did those simultaneously for a reason. On purpose. On purpose to create a community, not just provide a bunch of content. So make sure you ask yourself that question and look at your life, have a little quiet time. And that's what's going to help you move the needle, not just the financial rewards of investing, right? So love that, Andressa. Great share. Can't wait to see the soccer field. So Kimberly, thank you again for being on our show. We'd like to start with this question. What lesson has taken you the longest to learn? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> lesson that's taken me longest to learn. I would say, honestly, kind of what her story just was about having freedom. I've been in a huge growth mode this year at the beginning of this year, like to start hiring people and offloading different things. And it's been very challenging for me mentally because I've been going through this, like, I could do this. It's going to be faster if I do it. But really my assistant should be doing this right now. But then I'm like, oh, I have to create these SOPs and I have to train her and this and this and this. I just need something done quickly. But then I'm like, no, Kimberly, like (laughs) this is for your assistant. It's like you do it once, cry once, go through it once. And then from there, it's going to be paying me back infinitely in my time. So that is just really challenging because like you mentioned the book, Who Not How, I read that about three months ago and it really challenged me to think like, oh, okay, like I really shouldn't be doing a lot of these mundane things and things that don't take a lot of skill because I should be doing my money-making activities every day in order to make my business continue to grow. So I think that's been pretty challenging for me. And I think that that's a revolution that is happening now, right? We're going from oh, you need to have 10 years under your belt of working hard in order for you to earn the right to step out. And then we went through the other phase, like, oh, you don't need to work hard. You need to work smart. But still, you're working smart. You're still doing it. (laughs) So now we're like, actually, nope. (laughs) I actually don't need to do it and don't need to have this enormous amount of experience in order for me to grow my business, to step out, to get the support that I need in order to build it. So in a nutshell, Kimberly, share with us how your portfolio looks like. And at the beginning, when you got started, how did you transition? How did you pivot? Yeah. So right now my portfolio is a mix of probably about 20 single families, which is what I bought in the beginning of my journey. But anything I purchase now is all multifamily, small multifamily. I just closed a 20 unit and then I have a 16 unit. Thank you. So usually like 30 units and under is what I've been purchasing. And yeah, pretty much the pivot of my journey was exactly, again, what you shared in the beginning of this episode was about time freedom because I started with flipping homes. And while I did really well monetarily, it it was so much time and so much work that I, it wasn't jazzing me up. And so I wanted freedom. And so that's when I transitioned to buy and hold single family and eventually buy and hold commercial. And you're doing also some development work, right? Ground up. Yes, I am working on that. So I have some land right now in an area called Fountain Square, which is actually where I live and started going through the entitlement process with that land. But then that's when everything was jumping as far as costs for materials and everything. So I kind of tabled that because I already have the land. But now I'm looking Mm -hmm. at some infill stuff downtown, which is really exciting for me. Which Um, state is that though? I'm in Indiana, downtown Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. So the costs are here seem to be a lot lower as far as cost of living than the rest of the United States, but materials are materials. So 
So you have north of 70 units right now, right? Under your ownership. I used to. I actually offloaded. So I have about, well, actually, because I just bought those 20. So I have about 60, 65 right now. Okay. In the yeah. ballpark. And so you've been able to scale, buy more properties without syndicating. And for those listening that are not clear on what syndication is, and I have a lot of experience in that because that's how we were able to grow our portfolio. In a nutshell, it's a term for organization or combination of investors pooling capital for investment in real estate. So it's literally pooling money together to buy assets in real estate. And there's a lot of legality around it, but that's in a sense of what you're doing when you're syndicating. So I'm curious how, from a financial perspective, right, and financing is a, such a big piece to this, the puzzle. It's the essential piece to the puzzle of growth and scaling. So tell us a little bit about when you were flipping and then you segue to single families. How did that shift for you from a financial perspective and how you were able to acquire more? Yeah. So when I was flipping, I was doing a lot of it, quote unquote, cash, according to the bank. I bought my first primary residence when I was 24 in a gentrifying area. And I actually like refinanced three times in the first year to get a pretty big HELOC on my house. So I had access to about $76,000. So I would purchase a house like for 30,000 cash and then still have whatever it was left over in my HELOC. But then also I got my mom on board. So she did the same thing. She got a HELOC on her house and she was my first investor and I was just paying her back on an amortization schedule and an interest rate. So that's how I started flipping. And then once I kind of started like my first flip, I made 50 grand, which was awesome. And so I just kind of kept stacking up that money, just reinvesting, reinvesting, boom, 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 to just have more and more and more capital without having to go to a bank and say, hey, like, I mean, of course I would still get construction loans, but I wasn't like super leveraged as far as the bank was concerned because they don't really look at my HELOC. They're like, oh, it's just whatever she's using it for is her business kind of thing. And once I started doing rentals. So I, my first rental, I paid $71,000 for it. And I paid cash. I put it fully on a HELOC. I put about $5,000 into it, had it rented out for a year to one of my friends. And then when she moved out, I rented it out for like $400 more. And at that time I cash out refinanced it and it appraised for 189,000. So I made a ton of money on the refi, which was a non-taxable event. And then I was able to then be like, okay, great. Now I got my HELOC money back and this cash. So now I'm going to go do that again. And pretty much I just kept staffing up like that until I was able to buy my first apartment complex, which the purchase price for that in 2019 was 625. So I put down about 180,000 and I offloaded a different house to buy it. So it was just kind of like a, a snowball effect of, of stacking up the capital. And I never looked at it like, oh, how am I ever going to do this? I was just like, okay, one foot in front of the other. I'm just going to keep doing this. And it's not like I didn't want to syndicate. I just had blinders on and I was looking at, okay, what do I have access to right now? What do I know how to do? And what can I do with what I have? And that's just kind of how it happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a natural way of being and doing it, right? When you, you mentioned that you offload a couple of properties now. And I think that that's something that a lot of the investors have a hard time with because we're looking to build our portfolio and people upload for different reasons. So let's say apartment complex is time, the cycle it's after five, seven, 10 years, it's time to offload because the cycle is already completed. In your case, what criteria, what questions did you ask yourself in order to determine, I will offload this specific project property? It's all, 
Yeah. And it all goes back to your goals. So I'm always doing a goals audit for myself because my time and my life and what I'm doing and my happiness is really important to me. And like I said, I bought my first house when I was 24. I was so young. So my goals back then are very different than what they are now. So I was doing goals audits. And so I know a lot of times, like you said, it's very difficult for people to offload some of their properties. And a lot of things that I hear is, oh, I bought it so cheap and look at these returns and blah, blah, blah. But instead of looking at it from a scarcity mindset, in my opinion, of what am I going to lose if I sell this? I look at that as in what am I going to gain and how is this going to help me? And I look at it from an abundance mindset. And so it's all about the velocity of money to me. So if you bought like, so my first rental, I mentioned I paid 71,000 and then it appraised for 189. So that's, you know, over a hundred thousand right there. I just doubled my money basically for what I had in it. So, you know, you double a million, 10 times you're at a billion. So to me, how can you double the fastest and what is that going to help you do? So you know, I lost a couple hundred dollars of cash flow every month if I offloaded, but I gained a hundred. And then where am I going to put that 100 to then double again and again and again? And then also in turn, helping me free up my time. So just, I think it's just sh shifting perspective based on what your goals are and what you want your life to look like. When you made this shift from single family homes to small multis, from a team perspective, I'm sure your team had to also shift, not just, you know, the money part, but the team. So tell us a little about what that looked like. What was your team when you were managing single families? Were you managing them yourself? Did you outsource that? And then how did that shift when you got into just, you know, more, more small to mid-sized multis that you're involved in now? It's kind of been a long learning process. So yes, I self-manage and still do all of my single families. And my team, my biggest team member is my broker. His name is Corey Gardner and Gardner Property Group. So he's my broker. And so kind of like what we talked about earlier with offloading different tasks. I know a lot of people, especially who are new, feel like they need to get licensed and do it all. But I've always tried to have the mindset of, hey, you're going to be the king of that. I'm going to be the queen of this. And together we can combine and conquer. And luckily I found him really early. So when I was doing my luxury flips. He was the one selling my luxury flips and mm. he was young and hungry too. And so I would talk to him and say, Hey, I think I want to get into commercial. I want to do small multis. And he's like, okay, well, where's your head at? What are you thinking? And, you know, so he was kind of growing into commercial as well. And he had already done some commercial deals. And he's like, I think that's a great idea. Like, let me see what I can do. And he's the one who brought me all of my commercial deals that I found and closed out off market actually. So I've been very lucky in the sense where I've gotten to grow with my team which is my broker. And then as far as management goes, my first apartment was a 23 unit C-class. So I did outsource that. But when I sold that, I was doing really heavy. Like when I first bought it, it was 2019. I didn't know what I was doing as far as value add. But now, you know, I do performers and value adds. And what does this do to my returns? If I bump the rent by this much and put this much into each unit. And so the next property I bought after I sold that 23 unit, a 1031 to a 16 unit. And I'm putting like 25,000 to 30,000 in each unit. I'm bumping rents by five to 700 a unit. So that's a lot of construction. And to me, any of the property managers that I had a good relationship with from my C class wasn't going to fit because this was going to be a B class. And to me, managing a manager was going to add to my plate. So yeah. yeah. Let's walk through that transition of when you bought your first, you know, 23 unit, you said, right? Correct. Okay. When you first bought that, what you thought value add was versus what you, the words you just said about if I do this with the rent and I add this type of value, what is this going to do to my return? That's a whole different level of thinking 
for multifamily investors versus I know I need to add value. Let's walk through that, right? From where you were to where you are now. When you were in that 23 unit and you were thinking, I have to add value, how did you begin to learn the other pieces of the puzzle of, okay, how do I evaluate? What do I really need to do here to raise rents? So then obviously this property is worth more and I can refinance it or whatever your strategy was. So walk us through some of those beginning learning, whether they're stumbling blocks or, or just learn lessons. Because I think that's a big piece to what women and those listening really, really need to hear and refine very specifically. Certainly. That was my first apartment. So keep in mind, like everything I will say is just coming from, I only bought single family flips and rentals before yep. jumping to this. So I went into it from the perspective of, which is still true, is that you make money when you buy. And so I bought direct to seller and I just bought it really under market. It was a nine or a 10 cap. So, and it was 625 for a 23 unit. And even back then, that's an incredible price. So I was thinking, oh, I'm going to buy low, sell high. And so I didn't know anything about, hey, I'm going to put up a fence. I'm going to clean up the parking lot. I'm going to replace roofs. Any sort of money to be put into the building in order to bump rents. I just saw, hey, these rents are low. I can bump them by $50 a piece right now. And there we go. But I had no idea what that was going to do to the value of my building. I didn't know that bumping it by whatever it was, $50 a unit was going to increase the value of my building by 250000 I learned that later when I actually went to refinance. And I said, oh, I've built this equity by forced appreciation by just renting. So I think that's really important for everyone to understand that commercial is very different than single family in that sense, because it has nothing to do with comparing other 23 units in the area. It's like, hey, what are you doing? This is the only building we're going to look at. We're going to evaluate this as a business and what income this building is bringing in and then refinance ourselves from there. So that was a huge learning curve for me. That was a good one, right? That you added and then I want to talk about the bad ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the lessons that you learned that cost you money? Oh, don't bite off more than you can chew. So after I bought that 23 unit, I didn't buy anything for two years because that's when I said, okay, goals audit. I only want to buy a multifamily commercial. And two years later, I bought a 27 unit, which was downtown. And the units, I swear to you, were probably the size of this office that I am sitting in, like 150 to 350 square feet. Very, very small. Some of them wouldn't even be able to fit a queen bed and that's the whole unit. And I was like, oh, but the location and, you know, you can make them Airbnbs and make them really nice. And I bought those for, it was 750 and no bank would finance me. It was super old. It was historic. And I was all like motivated and said, hey, there's probably all this meat on this bone. I can do this. I can redevelop it. And I didn't know anything about tax credits or opportunity zones or historic society or just the fact that this building was going to take $1.2 million on top of the purchase price to make it something that would be reasonable. The health department, you know, all this stuff. And so that was a really tough building. I lost thousands every month just holding that thing, thinking that I can learn and I could do this. And then again, I goals audited and stepped back and said, is this worth it? Like if I actually run these performas and hey, let's just say I do put over a million dollars into this and let's just say I do hit these runs, what are my returns? My returns were under 10% for the 10-year performa. And I said, is this worth it? Because velocity of money, that's when I was like, huh. I don't really think this is for me. And because it's not like I was making a ton of money every year to take advantage of the tax credits and the opportunity zone. So that's when I said, I need to offload this thing and move on. 
You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what did you learn about yourself? Because there's almost layers of learning, right? There's the layer of learning about what did I learn about my investment strategy, right? That's what you're saying. And that's such an important piece, right? In terms of saying, okay, what did I learn there? But then what did you learn about yourself? You know, as an investor, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, what were some of those learned lessons that you got with this particular project? The first thing I learned was during the closing have you ever done something in your life where you are like so far in it and you're like having headaches every night, super stressed, not sleeping. And you're like, if I get through this, I can do anything. Yep. If I do this, I could do anything. And I did it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could do anything like with my team and everything I've learned. Like I just closed this building, even though I couldn't get insurance, I couldn't get financing. Like literally every single thing was against me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did it. But then also learning to be honest with myself. It's like, I did it, but did I really want it? Or did I want to just see if I could? Because then once I did it, I was like, oh, shoot. Now I, you know, I owe this huge mortgage every month. And then I have this going on. I have this going on. And I can't find a contractor who can do the historic. And I can't find something that's going to fit my budget. And is this even going to be worth my returns? And learning to just be really honest with myself and say, hey, if I make the wrong decision. And I just keep doing it like on the hamster wheel, just do it. And I never zoom out and say, is this something that's going to fit my life? Like you could, I could have really went under on that building. That could have been really, really bad. And so I, I didn't think of it that way. I was just like, you know, hustle mentality and head down and you could do this. And then it, you know, it's like, oh, I really need to learn to put this into perspective and not sink. Because if I sink, I mean, then there goes my whole business. And then there goes everything that I'm trying to build with my broker and my family and my mother and everything. So that was a tough lesson to learn. But after that, it's way easier to just really zoom out and say, hey, this might be a tough decision to make in the moment, but is this going to help me in the future? So it's just, you know, mindset shift again. And when it comes down to systems and processes in order to, you know, free up your time, Share with us, what do you have in place in your business right now? 
Yeah. So I recently hired an assistant. So that has been huge to offload a lot of these tasks because I'm renovating a 16 unit that I just purchased. I'm renovating a triplex. And then I have a couple of units going at this new 20 unit. So I have a lot of vacancy and I also have a lot of construction going on, but with a lot of vacancy is a lot of lease up. So I have my assistant doing a lot of the leasing and a lot of like the management stuff that I don't have a third party manager for. It seems like I'm kind of building that in-house indirectly. And also another thing that I've done is on my 20 unit, I have an onsite manager who's been awesome as far as lockouts, just showing units, letting contractors in. And he has been wonderful. He is worth his weight in gold. So just kind of challenging myself to offload different tasks and say, okay, hey, you know, pay this amount and get this in return and free up your time and in turn grow your business. Just me stepping back a lot and doing a lot of the operations and like big picture things and finding deals and doing things that I am the best at and offloading other things. Any go-to particular tools, you know, that, that have been must tools for you as you've been offloading to a new, new team members in terms of setting them up for success? Anything that's been like your go-to? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm just thinking of different apps. Like I've used Asana with my whole team. So my broker and my assistant and everything. And so it's like you type in a task, you assign it, put a due date, and then we communicate directly through there. So it's not like I have to text or send an email. So implementing that is super awesome. And then also just different things for automation in general have been super, super helpful. In terms of your partnership with your broker, right? What are the different factors that you guys bring to the table? Meaning he's so different than me on this particular, but that's a good thing. Share with us how you guys both complement each other and how did you come up with the, how do you know that? Yeah. How do I know is very difficult because like I said, I've been working with him since 2016. So over the years, it's kind of just developed into something that we both understand. It's like, okay, you do this, I do this. But he is really good at closing people. So, and I'm really good at finding them. So I find a deal. Let's just say I'm on a run and I see this building. I said, oh my gosh, I've been watching this building for however long I really want this. I send it to him. And so even let's just say I see the owner of this building on the doorstep, <laughs> perfect situation. But even still, I'll, I'll talk to them and get the information, but then I'm going to offload it to Corey and I'm going to say, hey, can you please call him and close him? Because I'm probably going to mess something up. And so I'm not afraid to pay him a commission and pay him well and be like, hey, please do this. And I've actually started giving him equity of these deals because he's, again, worth his weight in gold. So he's good at all the sales stuff, the closing. And also he's a big numbers guy and I'm big picture more so. So for these pro formas and the rent bumps and all this, you know, we use a software called Real Estate Lab for underwriting. And he does a lot of like the inputting and stuff like that and say, hey, if you bump it by this much, this is what you bring to the table. This is what you have to close with and da, 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 da. So, and then I go in there and afterwards, like tweak little things. So yeah, pretty much like he does a lot of broker sales duties. I do a lot of like hunting, finding, closing type things and relationship building. At what point did you start giving equity to him? When did that happen in the historical way of working together? And how did that come to be? Yeah, it was a year ago, actually, because... I realized how much he really does because I really what happened was I was trying to buy a property in Austin, Texas, and I was like, wow, I don't have a quarry here. Like, and it's so much harder for me to do my job when I didn't have my partner. And I was like, wow, like he gets paid really well as on commissions and this and that. But at the end of the day, that's really not my business. Like, I think he should have a piece of this, you know, just for everything that he does. Because when I tried to go 
into a new city without him. I was like, wow, if I just had him here, like we could run this. And so it was after I closed that 16 unit that I mentioned, I own a duplex, two parcels to the north of that parcel. And I owned it since 2000, end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And I told Corey pretty much like, hey, I want this apartment. And he poked this guy for three years. We finally closed it. Just recently, this 20 unit that I purchased a couple months ago now, we went to dinner with him, just me, my broker and the seller. And I asked him, I said, why, why me? Like, why did you pick me? Cause he's had offers, so many offers. It was a building that everybody wanted really. Like he had brokers pounding down his door and he looked right at Corey and said him. And then he said it again. I was like, really? He's like, yep, him, him, you, I liked you and him. He's like, every time I'd get a call, I just knew that they had a sales or a number of calls to make and blah, 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 blah. Nobody was personable. Corey called me and he, whatever Corey does, he did. And he was like, yeah, it was him who closed it. I was like, oh my gosh. And that building is retiring my mom. And that was a big part of my why. And so I was like, oh my gosh, see, so like that even like further nail in the coffin, like, yep, this is why that you have equity of everything. And, you know, a lot of people just, you know, punch the clock and just kind of get in this routine. And he really like cares and is really good. And, you know, he deserves it. And so it kind of just it happened that way, just by yeah. improving himself to me over the years. I think it's something that investors can to be mindful of, of the people that they're working with. And is there a way to expand that or reduce it? And to your point, equity is one way to go further into connection with people, obviously, in partnership. One other question I have for you is you, you mentioned goals audit a few times and how you do these goals audit. Is there a particular process you follow or just literally looking at your goals, big picture? Is there certain questions you ask just to drill that down a little bit? I think that could be helpful for the one listening of doing their own goals audit. So anything in particular you do, questions you ask, any specifics you can share? Yeah, I write my goals. I try to write it at least every month, if not more. I really should be doing it every day and every week. And when I do, I try to just write down all of the goals, like 30 days, 60 days, five years, 10 years, you know, and then first I just write down everything that I think that I could ever want in my life. And then I try to assign a timeline to it. And then I say, okay, what are actionable steps that I can take today and the next 90 days that I can reach these specific goals. And then I back up and say, okay, what are things that I'm doing right now in my life? And what is taking up a lot of my time? And what are things that I don't need to be doing? So I can create space for these things that I need to be doing in order to reach these 90 day goals, one year goals, whatever. And I just really try to challenge myself in the who can help me do this? And what do I need to not be doing? Uh, what can my assistant be doing? And how how is this going to help me with my quality of life right now in order to, you know, have your cake and eat it too. Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, one of my favorite things I got out of that book was, you know, as entrepreneurs, like everybody says, oh, you can't have your cake and eat it too. But an entrepreneur says, well, why not? Why would you have cake if you can't eat it? So how how can we have both and not make any sacrifices? And so it starts with just, you know, writing down every single thing I could possibly want, whether it be materialistic or whether it be deep. Like I want a happy, healthy family. I want an incredible bond with my future husband. How, you know, and so it goes to how can I provide for them, but also how can I be an incredible partner? How can I be supportive to my friends and how can I be there for my family? And so it's, it's like a lot of bigger picture perspective on things. And when you write those things down, 
it becomes really clear. Like I find some, I, I was just cleaning my desk the other day and I found old, you know, Hey, here's what my goals were. And they seem so crazy at the time, but then it's like, Oh, it's really not that crazy. And you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And then it's like, okay, well, how have I helped my family and how have I helped my friends and my partners and my broker in doing that? So just, again, just shifting the mindset. Yeah. And getting into the habit of doing that. Right. Cause yes. it's not like this haphazard audit you're doing. This sounds like consistently. So that's great. Awesome stuff. Kimberly, where can the ladies learn more about you and follow you along your journey? Yeah, I post a lot on my Instagram, the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm very open. So that is Kimberly Marie 920. Or if anybody has any questions, you guys can send me an email at Kim at reddoorrenovation.com. Awesome. All busy probation you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one is, what's the most transformational book you ever read? Ooh, I want to say Build an Empire by Alina Cardone. Awesome. Second question is, which routine it's most powerful to live a financially free and balanced life? I say for me, exercising every single day and making room for that. Because if I don't, I'm realizing that I'm not as focused and I also don't feel as good. I kind of start, that, that's the first thing that if I don't do it, I compromise other things in my life. And then it starts, my eating habits go down the drain and then, you know, everything. So I, I exercise every day, refocus my brain. I do a lot of my thinking in the morning. I keep my mornings free. I try not to schedule anything before noon so I can get all of my business things done in the morning and exercise every day. Awesome. Last question is, which women's TVs or not has inspired you the most? My mom, without question, for sure. She is the most incredible woman and she's always been my biggest supporter. I would say her and my grandma. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, Kimberly, for being on our show. Thank you for sharing your journey with, with us and our, all the people listening. So appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.